Let us pray. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus, Father. Open our ears so we can listen. Open our hearts so we can apply. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to be in this place, Lord, today. Help us as we open your word that we would gain a little nugget, Lord, that we would gain a lesson from you, Father, that we would gain what you want to teach us today, Father. It may be different for each and every one of us, Lord, but help us to hear what you are saying to us this morning. And help us, Lord, not to leave here the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Sabbath, everyone. It's truly a privilege to be in the house of God this morning. And I, I want to thank um, Pastor Harris for giving me the opportunity to speak today. He's in Houston, and thank God he'll be here next week. <laughs> we look forward to seeing him next week. And uh, I want to welcome those who are online also, our online congregation. We want to welcome them. This morning, the presentation will be entitled, Running the Christian Race running the Christian race. And our focus text is going to be from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews 12, verse 1. And I'll read in your hearing from the New Living Translation. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily traps us. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. You see, in the Bible, the Christian life is often depicted as a race. In Galatians 5, verse 7, it says, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And we just read our focus text from Hebrews chapter 12. In the book, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 30, Ellen White expounds or expands this passage. And I just want to, you know, put a plug in for the spirit of prophecy. You know, the spirit of prophecy, I find what it does is to illuminate what's in the Bible. It expands our knowledge of what's happening in the background 
And uh, here, she says in chapter 30, in the hope of impressing vividly upon the minds of the Corinthian believers the importance of firm self-control, strict temperance, and, uh, and unflagging, I'm sorry, I lost my place, unflagging zeal in the service of Christ, Paul, in his letter to them, made a striking comparison between the Christian warfare and the celebrated foot races held at stated intervals near Corinth. Of all the games instituted among the Greek and the Romans, the foot races were the most ancient and the most highly esteemed. They were witnessed by kings, nobles, and statesmen. Young men of rank and wealth took part in them and shrank from no effort or discipline necessary to obtain the prize. And we today may not be familiar with the foot races of the Greeks and the Romans, so I hope to impress upon you, the, um, you Garland believers, the comparison between the Christian warfare and a race. And I did have a short clip, but they haven't put it up yet. So. We've all seen the, Olymp the, the Olympics. And one of the most um, highly sought, highly looked at event is the 100 meter sprint. And uh, recently, okay, here we go. Okay, so the 100 meter sprint. Let's see if it works. Now you may say the Christian race is not a sprint. It's more of a marathon. But you wouldn't want to watch a marathon on the screen today. <laughs> so I chose a 100 meter sprint. And so here the runner run the race in 9.93 seconds. But whether it's a sprint or a marathon, it takes a lifetime of discipline perseverance, and sacrifice to run the race. In, um, in Paul's time, in the foot races, how many winners were there? There was only one. You see, the competitors in the ancient games, after they had submitted to self-denial and rigid discipline, were not even sure of victory. There was only one winner in the 100-meter sprint. Know he not, Paul asks, that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. There, however eagerly and earnestly the runners might strive, the prize could be awarded to but one. One hand could grasp the coveted garland. You know what the garland is, right? It's like a wreath. Yeah. 
Some might put forth the utmost effort to obtain the prize, but as they reach forth the hand to secure it, another, an instant before him, might grasp the coveted treasure. Such is not the case for the Christian, praise God. Amen. Not one who complies with the condition will be disappointed at the end of the race. Everyone can win. Not one who is earnest and persevering will fail of success. The race is not for the swift, brethren, nor the battle to the strong. The weakest saint, as well as the strongest, may wear the crown of eternal glory. And I say praise God. Amen. All may win who through the power of divine grace bring their life into conformity to the will of Christ. You know what that tells me? It tells me that the Christian race is not a competition against my brothers and sisters. In fact, as the slide says, everyone can win. Every one of us can be a winner in this race. Then therefore, if everyone can win and it's not a competition, then it's our duty to help each other along the way. It's our duty to help each other along the way. You see, the race is not against each other. It's actually a race against ourselves. If we look carefully, we realize that this Christian race is against ourselves. Romans chapter 7 verse 15 says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not. But what I hate, I do. You see, Paul understood that this race is a struggle against our natural inclination to do evil. I, for one, can relate to Paul today when he says, the things that I want to do, the good things that I should do, the right choices that I should make, the right directions that I know I should take, I do not. But what I hate, the wrong choices, the bad habits, the evil thoughts, things that are the very opposite of what Christ wants for me, that is exactly what I end up doing. So I cry out like Paul and say, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God he didn't stop there. Because in Romans 7 verse 25, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the but with the flesh, the law of sin. Jesus is the only one who can deliver us because this is a race against self. 
against self. Brethren, I hope you know I, I came up here after 12 o'clock. So be patient. <laughs> I was looking at my watch and I said, whoa, after 12. But God is good. Because our prize is eternal life. <laughs> the contestants in the ancient race were governed by strict regulations from, from which there was no appeal. Those who desired their names entered as competitors for the prize had first to undergo a severe preparatory training. Harmful indulgences of appetite or any other gratification would lower mental or physical vigor. It was strictly forbidden for one to have any hope of success in these trials of strength and speed. The muscles must be strong and supple and the nerves well under control. Every movement must be certain. Every step swift and unswerving. The physical powers must reach the highest mark. This Christian race that you and I have embarked upon is no less important. Would you agree, brethren, that it's a matter of life and death? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We cannot say we do not know which way to go because he already said, I am the way. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. In fact, the ultimate reward of this Christian race is life eternal. We see the intense importance that these historic contestants place on this earthly race. They underwent a severe preparatory training Acts of the Apostle says, harmful indulgences of appetite or any other gratification that would lower mental or physical vigor was strictly forbidden. These ancient athletes were focused on the prize that was before them. You may ask, why would they embark on such a grueling training regimen and sacrifice the niceties and pleasures of this world. This prize must have been wonderful. This prize. But history tells us that the winning prize was most probably a garland made from the branch of an olive tree. You mean to tell me that this is what they sacrificed for? But our prize is eternal life. Paul presents the contrast between the chaplet of fading laurel received by the victor in the foot, of the, in the foot races and the crown of immortal glory that we will be given, that will be given, sorry, 
to him who runs with triumph the Christian race. He says, they do it, he declares, to obtain an incorrupt, sorry, a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. To win a perishable prize, the Grecian runners spared themselves no toil or discipline. We are striving for a prize infinitely more valuable, even the crown of everlasting life. How much more careful should be our striving? How much more willing our sacrifice and our self-denial? Brethren, our reward is eternal life with Jesus. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Happiness beyond imagination. No more tears. No more pain. No more heartbreaks. No more wars. No more natural disasters. Brother Marlon, no more tornadoes. No more you fill in the blank, whatever it is. Yet, to be honest, I have a hard time, almost an impossible time, as Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 12 to 14. I have a hard time forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You see, the reason I have a hard time and I don't know if you are like me, but the reason is because of the weights. You see, I have some weights, a burden that I carry. And imagine me running the race with these weights. What's going to happen? It's going to slow me down eventually. You know, if I keep it up, keep these weights on, I may get tired, I may stumble, I may fall, and I may not get back up. You see, in the, in the epistle to the Hebrews, it points out the single-minded purpose that should characterize the Christian's race for eternal life. It says, let us lay aside every weight. Every weight. Not some weight. Every weight. And the sin which does so easily beset us. I'll say that again. The sin which does so easily beset us. Now this is different for each and every one of us. I know what that sin is for me. Do you know what's for you? So it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In Acts of the Apostles, Sister White says, and forgive me, I need to take off these weights. 
Let's see what's in there. Sister White says, envy. And I looked up the meaning of envy. It is a feeling of discontent or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions or qualities or luck. <laughs> see what else is weighing me down. Malice. Malice is the intention or desire to do evil or ill will. Evil thinking. I don't need to, to um, define that one. And evil speaking. These are weights that the Christian must lay aside if he should run successfully the race for immortality. Amen. My Lord is lighter down. We get in there. Every habit or practice that leads into sin and brings dishonor upon Christ must be put away. Whatever the sacrifice. Do I hear any men? I'll read, that, I'll read that again. Every habit or practice that leads us into sin and brings dishonor upon Christ. Dishonor upon Christ? How do we know? You know, I've thought about this. And I know when what I'm doing dishonors Christ. Don't you? <laughs> I know when Christ would not be welcome to watch what I'm watching, when Christ would not be welcome to play what I'm playing, when Christ would not be welcome to read what I'm reading, when Christ would not be welcome to go where I'm going. I know, don't you? So. We need to lay aside every sin that brings dishonor upon Christ and must put away, must put them away, whatever the sacrifice. The blessings of heaven cannot attend any man in violating the eternal principles of right. One sin cherished is sufficient to work degradation of character and to mislead others. How many sins? One. So these are the weights. But the text says, and the sin that does so easily beset us. Brethren, 
there are a lot of sins that beset us, right? But I want to talk firstly about this one. It's in a special compartment in my backpack. You may wonder why. But it's one that's so easily, it doesn't want to come out, my, come out of my backpack, by the way. It's hard to get out. Social media. Social media. I know, you, 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 you probably don't have issues with social media. And that's good, you probably don't, not even on Facebook, you know, on TikTok, on Snapchat. You don't go on YouTube. I want to bring up someone to talk about social media. You see, last week at AY, Brother Raul, he made a presentation on social media, which was wonderful. You see, there's a saying, you know, I always, I always plug in my AY, right? Yeah? And uh, you, know the, you know the saying that says, if the members don't come to AOI, AOI will come to the members. No, I think that's Mohammed on a mountain. But AOI is going to come to you today. And I'd like to invite Brother Raul to just talk a little about this sin that so easily beset us. to thank uh, Elder Frederick for inviting me up here. Amen. So I bet none of you are, uh, were expecting another sermon. <laughs> <laughs> so, but here we go. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Amen. There is so much information on social media and its effects on us, but I'll try to summarize it as best, so bear with me if it ever bores you out. So I'm going to speak to you about influence of the media on our brains and how we are all affected one way or another, be it cell phones, videos, TV, and more. So how much time do we spend on our phones or computers posting on social media sites? Do we spend that much time spending the, reading the Bible or connecting to God? I admit I am addicted to some of these social media sites, as many are too. Satan is working hard to deceive us and take time away from spending with God. And social media is one of the tools that he uses to control our minds. So how much time as Americans do we spend on social media? Americans spend 74 billion minutes on social media via, on, via home computer, 40.8 billion minutes via apps, 5.7 billion minutes via mobile for web browser for a total of 121.1 billion minutes on social networking sites. This is just America in one year. That equals to 2 billion hours, 84 million days, and 236,000 years. A survey by Common Sense Media found on average the daily screen use among tweens ages 8 to 12 is 5 hours a day, 
and for teens ages 13 to 18 is eight hours and 39 minutes. Studies have shown links between smartphone usage and increased levels of anxiety, depression, and poor sleep quality. So the brain finishes developing at and maturing at age 26. The forehead or the prefrontal cortex is one of the last parts to mature. This area is responsible for skills like thinking, planning, organizing, reasoning, problem solving, short-term memory, movement. And is also responsible for moral thinking, knowing right from wrong. So many of us are addicted to uh, social media, but find it incredibly hard to get away from it. Why is that? This is because of a chemical in our brain called dopamine. Whenever our brain gets stimulated with messages, texts, the brain releases dopamine, which is a feel-good, which produces a feel-good effect. And that rewards the user the pleasure and energy that different messages offer. And then it continues, it continues, leading to addiction. There's an interesting quote that says, never forget that thoughts work on actions, actions form habits, and habits form character. The media influences our brain and our thoughts, and our thoughts influence the way we act. Our actions form habits, and our habits form our character. So it is so important to monitor what influences our thoughts. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 23, verse 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Many social media executives have admitted that apps and social media platforms are exploiting us to turn into addicts. Platforms like Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram leverage the very same neural circuitry used by slot machines to keep us using their products as much as possible. If you pay attention, you might find yourself checking your phone at the slightest feeling of boredom, purely out of habit. Programmers are working to keep you doing exactly that. The potential risks include exposure to harmful or inappropriate content, exposure to dangerous people, cyberbullying, oversharing personal information, identity theft, and interference with sleep, exercise, homework, and family activities. So social media affects us mentally, physically, socially, and spiritually, but how so? The mental effects is that it can cause us increased forgetfulness, reduced attention, decreased memory span, and cause early onset dementia. Manfred Spitzer, a neuroscientist, coined the term digital dementia as an overuse of digital technology resulting in a breakdown of cognitive abilities. Overindulgence on the internet and internet-enabled devices causes cognitive impairment, such as reduced attention and decreased memory span, and can even expedite early onset dementia instead of remembering the fact itself. Studies have shown higher rates of attention def deficit disorder in children and adults. Paul mentioned in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. The physical problems that can ensure is that people that use social media 
excessively were found to have higher levels of C-reactive protein, CRP, a biological marker of chronic inflammation that causes serious illness such as diabetes, such as cancers and cardiovascular disease, headaches, chest, and back pains. So as we use our cell phones more and more, our posture becomes poor. People are hunched over their phones causing neck and back problems. Uh, social media affects us socially is that teens are actually more anxious and have lower self-esteem because of social media. This is because they miss out on things like body language and facial expressions, which leads to them which leads to them feeling intimidated and being misunderstood. It also isolates individuals and prevents them from developing the social skills they need in the real world. The spiritual effects is that it can make us preoccupied with matters that are not important and take away time that we need that otherwise would be strengthening our relationship with God. It also creates feelings that we would not have developed such as jealousy and envy. Some solutions would be to spend more time interacting face to face, to take a digital detox, to find hobbies, to exercise and pray and connect with God. We need to guide, guard our minds and be on the defense to restrain the enemy. God wants us to be on the defensive against Satan's attacks, against the mind and addiction. In Ministries of Healing, E.G. White mentioned, he, God, desires that we shall constantly be growing in holiness and happiness and usefulness all have capabilities which they must be taught to regard as sacred endowments, to appreciate as the Lord's gifts, and rightly to employ. He desires the youth to cultivate every power of their being and to bring every faculty into active exercise. He desires them to enjoy all that is useful and precious in this life, to be good and to do good, laying up a heavenly treasure for the future life. And on a final thought, I'd like to leave you with what Paul said in Philippians 4, verses 8 to 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Aren't you proud of the young people here? The sin that so easily beset us, social media. We come into the end. Earthly ambition, you know what that is?
We want to get things here on this earth. But remember that this race we're on, our reward is eternal life with Jesus. This earth is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid in heaven. Praise the Lord. Guilt. That's a biggie. You know. Some of us are weighed down by guilt. Even after praying and asking God to forgive, we still hold on to guilt. That's a ploy of the devil, brethren. Oh, we know this one. Busy, busy, busy. So busy. Too busy to do the will of God. So busy. Oh, I have covetousness. That was one of these. Brethren, I have no more. But I'm sure you can think of others. You see, the practice in the detail of life and the principles laid down in God's word is too often overlooked as unimportant. A matter too trivial to demand our attention. But in the view of the issue at stake today, nothing is small, nothing is small that will help or hinder Every act cast its weight into the scale that determines life's victory or defeat. Every act. And the reward given to those who win will be in proportion to the energy and earnestness with which they have striven. The apostle compared himself to a man running in a race, straining every nerve to win the prize. He says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so I fight, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. That he might not run uncertainly or at random in the Christian race. Paul subjected himself to severe training. The words I keep under my body literally means I beat back or to beat back by severe discipline and the desire, impulses, and passions. To get back to where I was. So, you may be thinking how. The how, right? 
we need to, you know, when you come to church, you know, you hear the sermon, but then you need to, we need to get a solution. I need a solution. How? Because we've been trying for so long, and have we been successful? No. We fall time and time and time again. You see, we can't do, we can't run the race on our own strength. You cannot, your will, your will is not strong enough. The Bible says that we, we, this is a spiritual battle, right? I can't go against the evil one on my own. So how? How then? I'm going to make another plug for Wednesday night prayer meeting. Because last Wednesday we learned the how. And I'm going to pull it directly from last Wednesday and, and from the book, If My People Pray, by Randy Maxwell. It says, begin by praying for a heart that follows hard after God. What should we pray for? A heart that follows hard after God. Put, a, put another way, ask to fall in love with Jesus. How many of us love Jesus? How many of us are in love with Jesus? You see, there's a difference, right? How many marriages have failed? Because although the spouse loves the husband, but they fell out of love. They're not in love. You see, I want that distinction made clear. The Bible says love your enemy, right? You're not in love with your enemy. <laughs> see? So there's a difference between loving God and being in love with him. How many of you remember when you were in love with your husband or wife? When you first met them and you said, oh, I'm falling in love. Remember that feeling? Hmm. I can't look into your heart and you can't look into mine. We may be following Jesus very dutifully, listen to this, but with no real love for him. If the passion, what's the word? Passion. Uh, the passion has gone out of your relationship with Christ. Ask him to rekindle it. Ask him to make your thirst not for power to work in the church, but for power to love him more than you love yourself. What's the first step? Begin by praying for a heart that follows hard after God. Pray for that passion. Next, step two. Ask God to help you realize that time spent with him is life to you. Time spent with him is what? Life to you. This cannot be optional for the Christian who is seeking God's face. Love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. 
for the Lord is your life. Deuteronomy 30, verse 20. The Lord is your life. Time with God to read his word and fellowship with him must become more valuable to us than our necessary food. What am I saying? Time with God must be more valuable to us than our necessary food. Now, I had a little problem with this, understanding this, but then I remembered. Do you, do you, have you ever seen someone play video games? <laughs> you know, they would play video games nonstop, right? Nonstop. They don't get up. They don't go to the restroom. They don't need food. I'm not talking about anyone in particular, by the way. But the minute they stop, oh, they remember, they, I need to go to the restroom. <laughs> I'm hungry, right? You see, playing video games is more important to them than their necessary food. They have that passion for that game, right? You can call it addiction. But, you see, time with God to read his word and fellowship with him must become more valuable to us than our necessary food. In fact, remember when Jesus came down from the mountain and the disciples says, you know, have you eaten? What did he say? That he has another food, right? Another food that is spending time with his father. It may not be this way for you now, but ask for it. And believe he will answer your prayers. It was A.W. Tozer who said, The secret of successful Christian has been that they had a sweet madness for Jesus about them. A sweet madness for Jesus. Those who seek God's face will have a sweet madness for Jesus about them. His will, his glory, his kingdom, and he himself will become their heart's desire. And, and when this happens, one result is certain. The Holy Spirit will be returned to its rightful place of honor in our homes, in our church, and in our lives. And we will have success on the Christian race. We will run with confidence. We will run with joy. We will run knowing that the prize is sure because our loving Jesus is with us every step of the way. Brethren, this is my prayer for you today that we will pray that first, that we would fall in love with Jesus again. And second, that we will find that time spent with him will be more valuable to us than anything else. The song says, as the deer panteth for the waters, so my soul longeth after thee, it says, you alone are my heart's desire. 
and I long to worship thee. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. Bre brothers and sisters, if you want to make Jesus your heart's desire today, would you please stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we're all on this Christian race. And Lord, we all have sins that easily beset us. But Lord, this morning, this afternoon, we come before you asking, Lord, that we would fall in love with you again, Father. Because that's the only way we can be successful on this race. We cannot do it on our own, Lord. We realize, we recognize our weakness. And praise the Lord, we recognize your strength and your victory today. So, Lord, we ask that you would take control of our lives. Father, we pray that you, we would make the, you the priority in our hearts, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. So, Lord, that we will always thirst after you each and every day, each and every minute, each and every second, Lord. Help us to thirst after you, Father. Lord, we pray for victory today. I pray for victory, Lord, over every besetting sin, Father. I pray for victory over every chain that holds us, that keeps us from serving you, Lord. I pray for victory, Lord. I pray for victory today, and we thank you because victory is found in Jesus. And so, Lord, I thank you for the victory today that you've given each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.